The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of the show, I'm determined to help you find your superpowers and be the superwoman that you're meant to be. I am thrilled today. Joining me today is Dr. Joel Warsh. You go by Gator, is that right? It is. My, my wife's last name's Intelligator, so people started making the joke about Dr. Gator, so kind of stuck, but it's not a Florida thing. <laughs> All right, got it. All right, so Dr. Joel Gator Warsh is an integrative and holistic pediatrician in Los Angeles, California. He grew up in Toronto, Canada, and completed his undergraduate training there in kinesiology and health sciences before going on to earn a degree in epidemiology and community health at Queen's University. He started his career working as an attending pediatrician at uh, Children's Hospital of LA and then worked in private practice in Pasadena and in Beverly Hills. He founded Integrative Pediatrics and Medicine in 2018, where he works today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Well, we are thrilled. And you know, we have talked a little bit and we've connected in the past. We're both huge believers in integrative pediatrics and integrative medicine in general. And, you know, it kind of continues to get on my husband's nerves. He's like, people still ask me what my wife does. So do you get a lot of questions about what you do and what integrative pediatrics is? And how would you answer that question? I get that question every single day. And I think people are starting to get savvy to, in general, the word integrative, but they're not sure what that means. And to me, what it means is that we blend the best of Western or allopathic medicine with the best of Eastern or alternative medicine. So many people give it a different definition, but to me, it's more the blending of the two and doing whatever is best for the patient on that day. Not disregarding Western medicine. I'm classically trained. I big right. believe Western medicine, but just there's a time and a place for everything and not forgetting about some of the things that we've done in the past. And so blending those together to do whatever is most minimal on that day. So you and I are on the same track there for sure. I mean, I've, I'm a firm believer. I'm also classically trained MD and we don't want to dump that all out by the wayside, right? There's a lot of valuable information there, but we do want to find a way to give a more rounded approach to patients, which is what I think you're trying to do as well. When you talk about blending different systems of medicine, I know I have my favorites. Kind of what are you blending for somebody out there who's like, well, what exactly are you two blending? So what are you blending? together to sort of create this new model of medicine? So for me, my training has been in functional medicine and I've learned a little bit of Ayurveda, a little bit of Chinese medicine and a little bit of homeopathy. So for the most part, it's blending regular Western treatments like medications with supplements or homeopathics and also having a general understanding of some of the other modalities out there, I think a little bit more than what you're trained in, in conventional medicine. So not necessarily that I would do acupuncture or acupressure, but I have a better understanding of when that might be useful. And in my own office, I have a team of different people that work here and lots of connections around, around the city and, and the country. And so I think I'm a little bit quicker to say, hey, maybe you should think about going to cranial sacral therapist, or maybe you should think about going to acupuncture. And let's try that first before we try the Western medicine. And what's the advantage that you're seeing for patients? How are they benefiting? And you know, what, what is the advantage that you're seeing in this approach versus maybe the classical conventional medicine approach? The number one advantage is a decrease in, in side effects. Mm -hmm. So in general, with the medication, especially if you're taking something long-term, there, there's going to be side effects. But from most of the natural treatments, there isn't. There certainly still could be. So you want to be aware, especially with supplements, of how things can interact. But your risks are a little bit lower. And it tends to do a better job long-term for 
correcting il illnesses or ailments. A lot of times with modern medicine, with a, a medication, it's a quick fix. Right. So you're not necessarily getting to the root cause. You're not necessarily thinking about why. A patient has a rash and you put a steroid cream on it and it gets better, but the rash keeps coming back. Whereas in alternative treatment, you may think about why. You might have to remove some food or something that's triggering the rash. And so it takes a little bit longer to do it and a little bit more thought, but you get to the root of the problem and the problem never comes back. So that's where the big advantage is thinking about why. I love that. And what are some of the common conditions that you're seeing in your practice? What, what's sort of showing up or happening there? Lots of eczema, autoimmune conditions. We're seeing a lot of neurological, like autism, ADHD, um, lots of gut issues. So tons of constipation, diarrhea, stomach aches, food allergies, and pretty much you name it, we see it. <laughs> a lot of what is affecting children today, I would say. Right. Are you seeing a lot of sort of the whole component of sensory issues and sensory integration issues and things like that and how how do you guys typically tackle you know something along those lines definitely so we it seems like it's a newer phenomenon we're seeing a lot more of it lately and i think the first thing is taking great history so spending a lot of time going back through the history going back to when it all started is there anything that was introduced at that time is there any foods or dietary issues maybe there's a life stressor that we can think about and then getting them plugged in with the right services to get a thorough evaluation mm -hmm. and then each patient it's a little bit different so there, there's not a one-size-fits-all and that's one of the things that I really strongly believe in what I love in the integrative model is it's really a patient-centered decision so we're going to be thinking about that patient specifically and looking into their diet uh, their exercise their lifestyle and seeing there's anything in there that might be contributing to those sensory issues and then working with a team of practitioners to try to slowly improve symptoms and it might not be hundred percent right away but if we do one percent here one percent here one percent here pretty quickly that the child is doing significantly better. Fantastic. How did you land in this field? I think it's always interesting to me how doctors land in the field of sort of integrative medicine or functional medicine. What was your motivation? Why would you set out to do something differently to begin with? Tell us a little bit about that story. It's a good question. So it's a two-pronged thing for me. Um, number one was, I think, meeting my wife was a catalyst. So I met her during med school and she was very holistic minded mm -hmm. and seeing so many of her friends go in through the medical system and not really have answers and maybe go to a naturopath or somewhere else after 20 years and get completely better. That was something that just made me think, hmm, maybe there's a little bit more that I need to learn. What am I missing in regular Western medicine? And then there was one patient during residency, a really wonderful 10 year old boy who had an autoimmune uh, juvenile arthritis condition and was coming in and out of the hospital all the time and he was having these horrible flare-ups of, of pain uh, swelling and, and I would walk into the room I was on his team and I would see junk food everywhere just all around the room candy right. yeah and so I to the team and I was like hey you know maybe there's something to do with this diet you know think about uh, we think about what why this is happening and everyone kind of laughed and it didn't really go anywhere patient went home but came back to the hospital a week later and happened to be on my team again, and I happened to be the doctor this time. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a little bit more work this time, a little bit more research. And so I started doing research on celiac disease and talking to the team about how these symptoms are very similar to what someone with celiac disease has. Maybe he doesn't have a problem with gluten, but maybe there's something in his diet. And everyone still kind of laughed at it. But this time grandma happened to be in the room. Mm -hmm. She heard what I said, and after she pulled me aside and she, she said, you know, no one's ever thought about why this could be happening. I really love that you're thinking about that. Maybe I can talk to mom and we can come see you as the pediatrician after we get out of the hospital. And they did. And we 
went through their diet, we changed up the diet, removed all the junk food, the preservatives, we added in more fresh fruit and, and whole proteins, and we also increased their exercise, we improved their sleep and decreased the stress, and this kid got better. And he was going to the hospital every couple of weeks, and he never went back in the three years that I was taking care of him. I don't know exactly what it was, but it doesn't really matter. It was just a light bulb moment that we need to be thinking about why. Right. Something as simple as maybe changing up the diet kept this kid out of the hospital. I think that's amazing. You know, it continues to, to surprise me in practice when we see kids today. I feel like our kids are sort of uh, at a new threat level and it's different. It's no longer diseases, you know, infectious diseases necessarily, although some will debate that that's a rising threat. But I feel like it's so much development, neurodegenerative diseases, diseases of neuroinflammation, that really seems to be the new threat for children today. And the majority of those, as I'm sure you've seen too in your practice, is all that kind of comes back to the gut, and to the immune system. What is your sense of what's happening with both of those systems with kids? I'm so curious, you know, what your practice uh, kind of has led you to when it comes to managing an immune system for a child, what could be going wrong, and then kind of tied to that, what's happening with the gut and with, di with digestive health? It's, it's, it's a fantastic question, and it's exactly the way that I think of things, and usually we do start with the gut, number one, because that's the easiest thing to make a change, and number right. two, in especially America, our diets are so horrible, and even if you eat amazingly well, there's still all sorts of chemicals and products all around you, so the gut is a great place to start, because we see such a big improvement when we change some simple things around. And, and you know this, and I think probably a lot of your listeners know it, but the, the gut is a huge part of the immune system. A lot of our immune system is actually in our gut. And so if your body is dealing with chemicals, toxins, pesticides, foods that shouldn't be there, with preservatives and, and whatever it is, then your immune system is dealing with that and can't be dealing with other things, can't be dealing with infections. And so you see kids have chronic disease, chronic illnesses, inflammation in the brain, and the system just goes haywire because it doesn't know left from right, it doesn't know what's real, what should be there, what, what shouldn't be there. And so you just see these kids start slowly degenerating and you get these chronic diseases, mental inflammation, you get all sorts of things like that. And so we're seeing it more and more, this slow grade chronic disease. So what, what should a parent, you know, if you're a parent out there and you're listening to this right now and they're hearing us talk about what we're seeing in practice and they're concerned about their child, what would a parent do to maybe protect their child's gut, to protect their immune system? What would you advise someone to do, you know, given kind of what we're facing today within the environment and some of the changes we're seeing? Sure. So the first thing that I always talk to family about is the things that they can do themselves at home right now without spending a, a dollar, without doing a lab test. Right. Doing a, that's the lifestyle factor. So diet, exercise, sleep, stress in your environment. So number one, starting with the diet, mm -hmm. we want to take out as much as we can in terms of chemicals, pesticides, non-organic foods, um, preservatives, dyes, all of those things that were really never meant to be in our diet. Any of those long chemical terms that you don't really know what they are, get rid of those and add in more fruits, vegetables, proteins, healthy fats, um, nuts, th things like that. Just just get that stuff back into the diet. And really clean, really clean eating overall. Do you think buying organic is worth it? Is it a waste of money? What's sort of your take on that? I think it's worth it. I don't think that everybody needs to buy everything 100% organic. If you can, that's great, but you don't necessarily need to. There was a recent study out of Berkeley where they looked at the urine of patients uh, 
on day one when they're eating normally and then they started them on an organic diet and checked that urine two weeks later and a lot of the chemicals decreased by 90 percent in the urine wow. just two weeks so that's that's pretty telling that even a little bit of an organic diet can make a difference and when I start with that with my families, a lot of people are overwhelmed. Oh, I don't necessarily want to do everything. You don't have to. The environmental working group does the research for us. And they come out every year with the, the dirty dozen, the, the products that have the most chemicals in them. And so you can just start there. It's always strawberries at the top of the list. Usually right. kale. For strawberries. They get pummeled yeah. every year. <laughs> every year. But that, that's the yeah. good news. Okay, if you're going to do one thing, well, buy strawberries organic then. And you right. can keep that load. By a certain amount and what people forget in integrated world is the body are so amazing and they can handle most things so anything that you do can be helpful and if even if you decrease the chemicals by one percent that might be enough to get the body back in balance so it can deal with everything else so it doesn't need to be perfect so for all of you guys out there listening uh what dr warsh is talking about is the ewg.org it's the environmental working group and they publish all kinds of amazing resources on food, on makeup, on body care products, uh, so many different things out there to really have a consumer guide. And they always publish uh, the Clean 15 and the Dirty Dozen. What was the surprising vegetable that made the Dirty Dozen this year? I think it was kale. I think yeah. kale landed on the Dirty Dozen this year, yeah. which was a shocker for everybody. And you know, kale was the it vegetable for a long period of time. But um, it landed on that list, but it just helps you with where you may want to spend your money in terms of what to buy organic versus what may not necessarily need to be organic. And yes, strawberries, which I love and so many people love, it's always on kind of the dirty dozen list. But again, it does, like Dr. Warsh is saying, it does show that uh, you know eating cleaner and buying organic, especially for those particular foods, does seem to lower the chemical load, and when we're talking about toxicity and chemicals, Dr. Warsh, I'm sure you agree, a lot of us are looking at the total load. We don't think it's one isolated piece over here that's causing all problems, and that's what's also making it so difficult, I think, to prove in research, right? Because in research, they want to take this one factor and say it's causing this, but in reality, what's really happening is that, okay, we got a bad food source, we have a bad water source, we have a weak gut, we put all of that together and boom, we get a weaker child or a weaker immune system. So that's why it's so difficult for all this stuff to come out in research and to be then conventionally practiced and conventionally accepted. So, so I, th I agree with you. I mean, I think diet is critical and uh, understanding when to buy organic and using great resources like the EWG should be helpful. What else would you suggest if somebody's thinking about their child sitting back and saying, hey, I really want to protect them against some of the things that we're seeing today? So the next step that's on the easier side for most families is thinking about your environment. So what do you have in your home is a good place to start. So what are you using for your cleaners? What are you using for your skincare products? What are you using for your suntan lotions? There are so many chemicals in all of these things that have never been tested. And the more that I've dug deeper into chemicals at homes, the more I've realized that we need to go back to where we used to be. And there are a lot of products you can just make yourself and you don't need those chemicals. So cleaners, you can have vinegar or baking soda and water. And that's often all you need for, for your cleaners. Uh, you can get Castile soap, so you don't necessarily need the fancy soaps, the fancy shampoos. There's so many things that you can do. And you can also uh, mix in essential oils into a lot of things. So you can use like a, a lemon balm with some water. That can be, that can be very useful for a cleaner or something to make the room smell fresh. So, you know, what's the problem with cleaners? Why, why is everybody, I mean, what are cleaners doing? All our, 
you know, those plugins. I had to chase after the folks that help us and please don't put the Glade plugins in the wall. We don't want those. But tell me, tell me what all of those cleaners and scents are doing. What's the effect that they're having kind of on, on children and on the body in general? It, it's, a, it's a great question and it's hard to know because most of these things are just never tested. It's a very logical and, and most people are starting to say, well, it's probably affecting the hormones, it's probably affecting our immune system, it's probably affecting everything. Our skin is our biggest organ. And so if we're either breathing in things through our lungs or something's touching our skin, then it's going into our body. And just like you said before, there's a toxic load. And we have something like 80 or 90,000 chemicals and fewer than 1% of them have actually ever been tested. Most people think this stuff gets extensively tested, but it's just not true. There's no need in America to test things. In Europe, you have to prove that something is safe before it hits the market. That's not true in America. You don't have to prove anything safe. You just release it, and if people, enough people complain about it or worry about it, or you get enough lobbying or activism, then it can be taken off the market. And glyphosate's a great example of that. Right. Where for years, people have been saying that it's a problem, and everyone said, no, 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 it's not really. And, and now there's been enough lobbying to the point where people are starting to win lawsuits because they have maybe proven or they think that it causes cancer at this point. And, and there's a lot of research that shows that at least it's a probable carcinogen. And there are several cases that have actually been won by groundskeepers and, and people like that. Right. Millions of dollars. And, but it took five, 10 years of activism for that one, one chemical. So it's, it's yeah, hard to- Yeah, I feel like it just takes so much time by the time we really see change, you know, a couple of decades often go by, you know, glyphosate, for those of you who don't know, is the chemical in Roundup. It is a pesticide. It's been found to disrupt the gut lining. It's a, a neurotoxin as well. It's played all kinds of roles, but um, there have been some landmark cases is probably the best way to describe it, where groundskeepers who've been exposed to that over and over again, or people that work on the golf course or things like that, have developed a lymphoma, I think is the cancer that was connected to it and have won those cases in court. And it's interesting, we do a lot of energy work too in our practice in addition to the conventional work and often over and over again, glyphosate will show up on the energy scan, we'll go to test it in urine and it'll show up in the urine as well. So just another example of how our chemical load or toxic load is impacting our children and our immune systems, you know, and really making a difference on their brains, which I think is just so incredibly concerning. So we've got, we've talked diet and trying to eat cleaner and more organic. We've talked about chemicals within the home, maybe thinking through your cleaners and replacing those and getting rid of toxic cleaners. What else would you suggest a, a mom to do who really wants to take this issue into her own hands? I think one other thing that you can do is look into an integrative physician or integrative doctor, maybe a naturopath. If you really want to dive deeper, I always start my families with those things that we talked about, but either you've already been through that or you want to dive a little bit deeper and there are so much, there's so much testing that you can do, especially from a functional medicine perspective. And so each, each person is, is different and each child is, is an individual case. And I, I personally am very cognizant when it comes to kids about doing lab work. Mm -hmm. One, because it can get pretty expensive if you're going outside the insurance model. Right. And number two, it's a kid and it's blood work. And so, you know, we only want to poke a kid if we really, really need to but you can get some very valuable information from doing extensive nutrient testing, from doing stool testing, you could do uh, hair toxin or blood toxin analysis, you could do allergy testing. So if there is something that you feel could be going on, like a nutrient deficiency, then you can do a much more extensive panel with an integrative practitioner and you can, you can find things. And, and it's sometimes, you know, you don't find anything when you do these tests, but other times I've had a child who had a tick, uh, a motor tick, 
He was moving his arm for a year or two, and we did one of the extensive nutrient testing and alpha lipoic acid and glutathione came up low, and we gave it both those supplements, and within a week, it was better. So wow. it doesn't always, it's not always that simple, but right. you can go into some of these things, and just like vitamin D could be low on a standardized test, well, maybe your B12 is lower, maybe your iron is lower, maybe your zinc is low, and if you supplement those back and, and get it back to a normal level for the child, then the body can get back into balance because the bodies are so complicated and everything, so many things are part of many pathways. And if you're deficient in one thing, then everything else can get thrown off. And if you put it back into balance and everything can get back into uh, homeostasis. Do you see a big difference when you do, um, you know, and I, I have my experience, but I really want to hear yours, a big difference when you do integrative testing versus conventional testing? Are you getting different results for any common value, like vitamin D, for example, or B12 or folate? Do you see a big difference in the two types of testing? Not usually. Every once in a while, it'll be a little bit different. I think the, the functional testing is more tailored to adults. It still isn't right. to the children. I and mean, you can use it and you get some value. But I always preface it with families with this stuff has been mostly tested in adults. So we have to take everything we get with a grain of salt, but it's still useful information and it's better than nothing. And if, you know, if it's very close to a normal, that usually doesn't trigger me. But if your number is sky high or sky low, then that can be useful information. If, you're, if your zinc level is, is super low, and that's still a useful number to know. It might not be the perfect test, but you can always redo that test through the regular labs if you need to um, and see. And usually it's fairly similar. It's when you get into hair testing or allergy testing, that's where things can be very different depending on which lab you use. And, and Gosh, are there any generalizations you can make off the children that you're seeing in practice? Like these are the three or four most common deficiencies you're seeing over and over again. These are the couple of common gut issues you're seeing. Is there anything that you're noticing? You know, so for the mom out there who's listening today and is just trying to figure out like, okay, I'm going to try to get into one of these docs when I can, but I can't do it right away. Like, maybe these, I'm gonna go with the uh, rule of the most common. What are you seeing most commonly? The vitamin, vitamin D deficiency, far and above most common, pretty wow. much okay. vitamin deficient. So if you, if you do the testing, most people are gonna be somewhere between 10 and, and 30, and, and most functional integrative doctors want 50 to 80 now. But everybody's even low for normal standards, so almost everybody can supplement with vitamin D, and that's gonna be helpful for your growth and your bones and your immune system. I've seen, um, a lot of poor diets, so fish oil seems to be very helpful for a lot of people, especially with skin mm -hmm. uh, issues. It seems to decrease that inflammation, and it also helps with brain uh, brain development, brain uh, inflammation as well. That seems to help, and magnesium. Yeah, magnesium seems to help so many children, yeah. whether in gut calming or just general anxiety. And people will use that for their gut, for their anxiety, or even just maybe some Epsom salt in the bath, and that can even help just calm them down a little bit. So those are the three things that almost everybody can benefit from at this point. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm seeing that a lot. We also see a lot of methylation, MTHFR issues. Again, those are big words. They probably need their own episode, but uh, that's where glutathione, it sounds like you're using a lot of that has been really helpful as well to sort of rev up a child's ability to detox, right, to process the chemicals. Is there anything else you like from a pure, again, going back to if our general premise is that the environment has changed, our guts are getting affected, our children's immune system's getting affected, they need more support with detoxification. What are your one or two things you love for detoxing kids versus us? What, what do you really love? So number one I love is using food. So there are so many different recipes out there for detoxing food, especially if you look in the Ayurvedic world, there's yes. things that was super commonly used. 
really just green vegetables are, are, are helpful for that. So if you can get some mix of green vegetables with some mix of fruit, then that's going to help to some level with detoxification. And also if you're doing that smoothie, you can throw in whatever supplements you want in there. Usually they won't taste it. So that's a good These way. They're always <laughs> like the, the master hider of everything. I'm always like, whenever a mom's like, they won't drink a smoothie. I'm like, oh, I got to figure this one out again. But yes, they are the master <laughs> hider of all. So that, that's been pretty helpful. Um, from the integrative perspective, I've seen a lot of integrative doctors move towards using vitamin C and mm -hmm. glutathione. So there's some powders and I like Metagenics powder, but there's so many different companies that have a vitamin C powder. And then Fuja from a homeopathic standpoint is helpful for kidney and, and liver detox. So Which brand is it again? What brand do you like? Metagenics. Oh, Metagenics. Okay. And for yeah. homeopathics, you were saying? Um, Fuja. Okay. Gotcha. People Good deal. And then yeah. another thing that is, is, is new and interesting that I'm still really trying to research on is, is TRS. I don't know if you've, if you've seen that at yeah, all. Yeah, so tell me about it. So it's a zeolite crystal, negatively charged crystal that it goes in water and it attracts the positively charged ion so it attracts um, the metals and theoretically pulls it out and i thought you know this is, sounds really crazy when i first heard about it and I, I was reading about it on all the, the mommy groups and facebook groups and whatever but so many people have had such success with just mm -hmm. this product that i've been doing more and more research there's minimal side effects and some people have found it to be very helpful for pulling out toxins and chemicals so it's just something that that people ask me about all every once in a while and I haven't seen any downside to it so I'm totally open to it if people want to try it alongside with with any of detox so this is a zeolite powder that you add to water it can be in powder form but most the one that I've seen that has the most success is the spray so it's like a little water and you just spray in the mouth okay great I have you heard of the product called restore mm -hmm. by Zach Bush's product yep. so I love that product in particular. I've seen some great results with that and we use it a lot with travel. Um, that, by the way, guys, is supposed to pull out glyphosate, which we just talked about from the intestinal lining. And uh, it really does seem to work in terms of uh, promoting the integrity of the gut. So that's another personal favorite of mine. So such great information. What is your, what is your biggest concern for our children and for the children of the next generation? What are you the most worried about? What do you think it is Obviously, integrated pediatrics is growing, and it's a growing field. I feel like it will continue to grow, but there's always a reason behind that growth, and it's usually tied to what we're seeing. What's your greatest concern? My greatest concern is the levels of chronic disease that we're seeing. The latest statistics from the CDC for adults are that 55% of adults have a chronic disease. Most of those are on four or more medications, and that's trickling down to kids. And I've seen all sorts of different numbers of what the levels are, but let's say somewhere between 20 and 50% kids now have some sort of chronic disease, eczema, allergies, arthritis. That's scary. Yeah. You know, one out of two kids has that. And then also, if you look at the autism numbers, the rates just continue to keep going up. And, and the MIT researcher just postulated last year or the year before that the rates are going to be one in two in, in 2025. I don't know if that's you know, true or not, if it's going to be that high, but whatever it is, that's super scary that that's the, the, the trends as to where we're headed. And so we're not at a point where we, we need to do something. We're well past that point. We need to sound the alarm. We need to be thinking one in two kids has something serious. We need to do something about that. And we need to do it now. And we need to think about it as a group, as a group of pediatricians, as a group of doctors, parents come together and say, this is important. We don't want to have to worry that one out of two of our kids is going to be extremely sick. We want to prevent this from happening and move in the other direction. Because the, the latest statistics, again, are that the kids of this generation are going to live fewer years than we do. 
That's the first time that's ever happened. The first time that the life expectancy went down. That means we're doing something wrong. And what do you think it is? Is it all back to toxicity again? Is that the, our number one public health threat that we're just not talking about? Is toxicity in our children? I think so. It's the it's everything. It's the food. It's the chemicals. It's just yeah. we're we're so overloaded with things that our bodies were never meant to deal with, and we we really forget that it takes a long time for an animal to change through gene you know, genetic changes and yeah. natural selection. And these kind of products have been around for only a few generations, most of them. Some of them 50, 50 years. Cell phones, you know, ten years. So we're just we're just making changes to our body at a rate that they're not used to, and newborns are being exposed to these things even in the womb, and so we just have no idea what it's doing to us. But most likely, it's contributing at least in some way to this significant rise in chronic disease. Mm. If you could wave a magic wand, this is your <laughs> chance, and you wanted to fix something about our kids about the society or the environment that our kids are being brought up in today what would you change food i would i would change the food. the um the system that we have for getting food number one i would want every single school in america to have a garden every single child to learn how to garden and learn where food comes from because most people think it comes from whole foods at this point or wherever they have no idea that it comes from a tree or from the ground or what that means they're not touching the dirt and then number two, have community gardens. So people are working together to create food for each other. Because my fear is that there's going to be a huge power outage or there's going to be some sort of natural disaster or something's going to happen. And we're so dependent on grocery stores that what's going to happen if, if the system goes down? Where are we going to get our food? How are, where are we going to go from there? And it's just not a sustainable food system in, in the long run. So we need to go back to the basics and learn how to create our own food and teach kids about that so they have an appreciation for it. And even if you have just a small garden, you get a few products, you're going to understand the difference. And we've all seen it when you go to some other country and you have a fruit off the tree, it doesn't taste even close to the same as what you get. Mm -hmm. Totally different. I agree. Wow. Well, I am so appreciative to have other colleagues in this field of integrative medicine. I agree with you. We all need to kind of fight this fight together. I'm super concerned and worried about children for the future and I've had my own children, I've had different issues with each of them and continue to see sort of the environmental challenges that they're up against and I, and I worry and I worry for them and I worry for all the patients that we see in practice. Dr. Warsh, if someone wants to get a hold of you, what is the best way to stay connected to you? Sure, so the best way you can go to uh, my office's website, integrativepediatricsandmedicine.com. But we actually also just took over integrativepediatrics.com. And so we're actually working to rebuild that site out and we're working on some integrative pediatrics courses and we're gonna do a summit on all this stuff in the next year. So look out for all of those things. We're gonna build out and try to get the word about integrative pediatrics out. So integrativepediatrics.com. Awesome. Well, I'm excited to follow your journey and support you along the way. I feel like this work is critical. It's important. And if you're a mom out there today listening to this episode of the show, please, please take to heart the importance of really evaluating your child's environment, the quality of their food, where they may be getting inflammatory triggers from, whether that's from social media, from electronics, from chemicals in the home, you know, from all kinds of different sources, because ultimately at the end of the day, it's the load, it's the cumulative load that's affecting our children's, their brains, their mental health, their growth, their development, their weight, and so much more. I want to thank you all for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness. If you like this episode, please rate and review it. 
It's also now on Spotify and feel free to share it with your friends. I will see you guys next time.